0: Welcome to My Bible Study, a verse-by-verse devotional study through the Bible with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. In this unique series, Pastor Bob takes you through the Bible just a few verses at a time. No preaching, just a simple Bible reading with examples and explanations of the meaning behind the scriptures. My Bible Study will take you from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the book of Revelation. Now, here is Pastor Bob Thibodeau.
1: I kind of lean towards the fallen angelic view, okay? And let me give you a couple reasons why. First is the language. The text contrasts the daughters of men to the sons of God. Now, we know that you know, when offspring come up forth, there's going to be sons and there's going to be daughters. So why the contrast between the sons versus the daughters? Okay the language simply implies there's a difference between the creations the creatures of God and the creations the creation the creatures of men there's a difference there why was that distinction made there's the earliest interpretation one commentator state, commentator states that the angel interpretation is at once the oldest view and the same view of the most Modern commentary, commentators. so it's assumed in the earliest Jewish writings, uh, which the Book of Enoch, I know that is not a considered uh, a uh, actual scriptural interpretation of the Bible. However, it's old enough that it has to be considered, okay? But you know Josephus wrote on this, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I mean, you know all these things, the earliest Christian writers also took this line that it symbolized and referenced fallen angels okay in the new testament you look at first peter 3 chapter i mean chapter 3 verse 18 to 20 uh you know regarding this as well this the passage itself is diff, it's another difficult passage to interpret and understand but my understanding is after Christ died on the cross and his body was buried in the tomb, his spirit went to proclaim, not to preach, but to proclaim certain spirits in prison. Who are the spirits? Peter says that they were there because of the times of Noah. Look over at 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. And it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, right? If God spare not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them to the chains of darkness to be, re- to be reserved unto the judgment, and did not spare the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Right. So here you have Peter himself talking about this. So there are angels chained in gloomy darkness. And again, Noah was mentioned there as well. Okay, So all these New Testament passages, Jude chapter 6, all three New Testament passages teach us that there are certain angels, certain demons in prison right now because of something that happened in Noah's day. Not at creation, not at the fall uh, where Adam and Eve sinned, but because of what happened in Noah's day. Specifically specifies that time frame. So that that's a big plus in, in my opinion about what these scriptures here in Genesis chapter 6 are actually talking about okay We also can see throughout the, the Gospels that that demonic spirits want and need human bodies you know you can see that in Mark chapter 5, Luke chapter 8 and chapter 11. So for all these reasons I think that what you have here in Genesis 6 is a demonic, Possession, a demonic invasion, basically. Satan and his demons hatching a plan to move in to kill off the human race from ever having this promised seed come to be. Okay? So this is in response to mankind who has become so wicked that they've opened themselves up and actually invited demonic spirits To possess their bodies and live in sin. Satan's agenda. Was to destroy the promised seed. By the corruption of the marriages. After the flood. God judged those demons. Not all demons. Those demons that did this. And put them in a holding place. Binding them until the ultimate judgment comes. This is not some sort of prison. uh, Itself. In in Revelation uh, chapter 20. But Satan will try again. All throughout history, not just at the end of it, but all throughout history, Satan has tried to, and failed, to kill the promised seed. You know, you remember Pharaoh killing all the baby boys during Moses' time? Jezebel trying to kill all the prophets? Haman trying to kill all the Jews? Even Herod killing Jesus? was a way for Satan to try and make sure this was never gonna happen. He thought when when Jesus, I mean God himself said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, that's what Satan knew. This is him. Let's kill him and then it's done. He had no clue of what was actually about to happen when he killed Jesus. But Jesus, the moment he died, what happened? All the demons were rejoicing. Because it looked like they had just sealed the victory only to find Jesus showing up in the prison and binding them in prison and taking the keys of death and hell with him in total victory. Praise the Lord. Anyway, let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. We already see Satan entering the realm of animals and, and showing up and dwelling the snake in the garden. You know, John MacArthur says, uh, what you have is a society that has reached such a corrupt point, civilization has gotten so corrupt that literally demons are taking up their own residences to some degree. Their demonic strategy was to move into the bodies of the males, then to marry all the beautiful women, and to produce children that would be demonically possessed. Okay? It would be a demon-dominated union, a demon-dominated family, a demon-dominated society. And boy, do we see that today. All right? Notice the escalation of sin. Before, with Cain, the demons were crouching at the door. Now they're living in people's bodies. I don't even know if they realize that this was satanic influence. Because they became so used to. They became so used to living in and with their sin. Again, I come to the present-day society and culture here in America. In the nineteen fifties, if you had uh, transgender parades and them appearing on television and and gay pride parades and all this stuff, there would have been riots in the streets right? You just did not do that. That is so immoral and so disgusting and so anti-biblical, we will not put up with it. But what happened? Well, it began with the Removal of prayer from the schools. Removal of the Ten Commandments from the schools. Removal of any reference to God in the schools. So you indoctrinate the children. You cannot do anything that at all gives reverence to God. Not in school. Well, there must be something wrong with it then. And that generation produced the next generation, which produced the next generation, which produced this generation, where we are living the days of Noah all over again. But guess what? The Bible says it's going to be that way in the last days. All right. Notice the word in Genesis 6:2: the sons of God saw the daughters of men. The sons of God saw. The daughters meant to be attractive. They look good. They desire them. Does that sound familiar? Well, again, this parallels what happened in the garden in, in chapter 3, verse 5. Eve saw the fruit, that it looked good. It'd be good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. So she took it and ate. Right Here is the demonized replay of the fall. That's basically what's happening. The object of lust is not the fruit of the body. Not the fruit of the the bodies of the beautiful women that the sons of God saw and took for themselves. The picture being painted in this verse is one of unmitigated lust. The word "took" does not suggest forced marriage or rape or anything like that, since that would that would be a word that means a regular uh, marriage union is what it's taking is what it's saying. Uh, one commentator uh, observes that the silence on the part of the daughters may mean they were willing participants in this. Okay, notice it doesn't say they protested. They didn't want to do this. No, they were willing participants. So how does God respond to this? Well, let's go down to verse three. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be numbered. It should be 120 years. God says there has to be a consequence for this behavior. And the Spirit of God is mentioned. Last time we heard about the Spirit of God was in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Remember that the Spirit hovered over the chaos of the surface of the earth and turned disorder into order. Chaos was restrained. Since the fall, the Spirit has been working on bringing people to repentance with God. But God says, this isn't going to last forever. God is going to withdraw his spirit. So when the flood happens, God withdraws his spirit, and a decreation, I guess you could say, happens. Okay, Order will turn back into disorder, back into chaos. Likewise, in our life as believers, whenever you see disorder and chaos especially in your own life and in your own heart, ask yourself, did I push the Spirit of God into a corner of my life where He's not the preeminent focus of my life anymore? You know, The Spirit never leaves the believer. If you're born again, you're not going to become unborn again. And if you become born again, truly born again, The Holy Spirit is in you. You're a new creation created in the image of Christ who's in the image of God. But you can push God into a closet. And then when all hell breaks loose around you, you got to find the key to the closet door and open it up and say, God, help me. But at least you know God's there. But you can become so enamored with the world and the worldly systems and all that's taking place in the world, that you can actually push God into the closet. And, you know, the, one of the phrases when the homosexual community is come out of the closet, right? As a Christian who is living a sinful life, you can put God in the closet. And He's not going to come out and help you unless you ask. I and mean, I'm getting off topic on all that. Notice that God's response towards man is contained in this verse. He's not speaking to the demons. He's talking here about mankind. God has a judgment for the demons, no doubt about it. But man is accountable for allowing themselves to get into this mess. Now we're going to come back uh, to the 120 years part uh, here, but notice that God does not allow sin to go unchecked forever. The word "abide" abided, some translations talk about strive or contend or remain in, is only found here in Genesis chapter 6. And it has the idea that God will not endlessly and forever permit his life-giving spirit to give life and enliven those who have no care for his word, no care for his world. The breath of life remains his to give and his to recall. It belongs to him. The gift of life. There are some listening to this broadcast right now that may not ever hear the end of the broadcast because when God recalls the breath of life, they can give you all the resuscitation you want it is not going to work they could hook you up to you know 12 different breathing machines but it's not going to work you'll just be on a machine when god says time's up time's up you know i like the fact that god says man is simply flesh genesis chapter 3 man wanted to be like god we saw cain taking the place of god when he took the life of his brother and now We see even allowing demonic-influenced marriages to take place. Man chooses what's right for man, not what God wants. In the end, you don't become more like God. You become less like God. You become less of a human and more like the devil. Man is simply flesh, flesh and bone. That's it. And you know when you have strongholds in your life, when you start acting more like Satan than more like God. Let's go on to chapter chapter 6, verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days. Also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. So here in verse 4, again, there are more headaches here in trying to interpret these verses. The Nephilim, is a term that means great men, men of stature, men of power, men of influence. And it's only used one other time. Numbers 13, 33. You remember the spies going to Canaan? And they came back telling Israel, you know, they can't go in. We can't go in here. We can't go into this land because the people were like giants and we're like grasshoppers compared to them. They use the word Nephilim here, uh, borrowing from Genesis chapter 6. So this is a, definitely a reference to giants. there is a generic term for powerful men, okay? i don't think it's a race of people. i also don't think that they're half human, human demonic, huge giants or anything like that. these were violent, fierce, warrior-like people, okay? matthew says as, as warriors of renown, all right? they seek reputation by their wickedness and the way uh it's like the people of Babel would seek fame through their building of of the huge tower. Okay, I think Moses' point here is there wasn't anything new that came out of Satan's plan. Nothing new. These unions did not produce something that was not already there, which were powerful, violent, big-headed, literally, but big-headed is like wanting to be a big shot. Anti-godly men. That's what was the result of these unions. And they lived to make a name for themselves, just like Cain. Just like the people of Babel. But what happened to these great people? They died in the flood because of God's judgment. Notice here, all of this happened. As mankind slipped from seeking God to the end, they ended up seeking God. Demons, all right? Footholds of Satan can become strongholds. So, what do I mean by a foothold? Let's go over that again. I, you know, if you're trying to climb a mountain and you're looking for where the, your next step is, what you're looking for is just a, a little, a little crack, a little, a little ledge, big enough to put at least your toe on and your fingertips. That is a foothold. It is not a stronghold. Okay? That is not a stronghold. That is simply a toehold or a fingerhold or, in this example, a foothold. Ultimately, you want to get to the top. You can go foothold to foothold until you get to a major level. Now, that's a stronghold. Okay? You can rest there. (sighs) You know? The pressure's off temporarily. That becomes a stronghold. Okay? So... A foothold is designed to give the devil a place to work from and plan his next move. Okay, Think of an intruder who, who would push past the door and into your house with one foot in your front door while you're attempting to close the door on him. Okay, You can't because his foot has a hold in your house. After a little while of fighting, you may grow tired and let him in. Or he pushes in and now he can take over your entire house. So a foothold is simply giving space to the devil to work.
0: Thank you for joining Pastor Bob as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible in this series called My Bible Study. We pray this study will bring you closer to God and reveal His Word and His will for you through the Scriptures. We would consider it an honor and a blessing if you would support this outreach with your financial offerings. We have partnered with Patreon to offer you unique gifts and benefits for various levels of giving. Please visit our page on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash my Bible study podcast, all one word. That link again is patreon.com forward slash my Bible study podcast, all one word. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.